Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Steve Macias and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Hello and welcome to the 90th edition of the Out of the Question podcast. Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm doing well. Can you imagine we're on number 90? That's, you know, we're getting up there almost to triple digits. Absolutely. I'm not sure the significance other than we've done it for a while. But uh, today's topic, we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge the fact that on March 18th of 2020, there's a new expression called sheltering in place. And anybody who's listening to this will know what that means. And I guess the real question that we want to get behind would be, we're at home, we're not going to work, things are closed. What can we do from where we are to be effective in furthering the kingdom of God? Right. And the, the other expression or the other question behind this is, what is in this crisis? What can we see in the plan of God? Are we under a God who is orchestrating all of history and is even crisis and disease and part of God's sovereign plan? And if it is, how do we kind of peace out or, or see the hand of God even in times of anxiety or, or fear? And then there's the additional problem of after being inundated for so long, with fake news or the accusation of fake news or experts say this and other experts say that, I think a lot of people are struggling with, I don't even know what's true here in terms of what's being reported. Right. But one thing that is true and remains true is that God's word remains true. And if I'm not mistaken, and I say that facetiously because I know it's true, there are many things outlined and recorded in the Bible that tells us that this isn't the first time the people of God experienced difficulty, trouble, or even reproof. No, certainly not the first time, and not the first time in the century or in this millennium, or (laughs) that the people of God and the story of God is one of constant trial. Uh, And the same Jesus that says, cast your cares upon me, or that his yoke and burden is light, that same Jesus understands uh, every sickness, weakness, or crisis of the past, well, millennia since creation began. So I think because we've been conditioned, especially in the U.S., with relative comfort, we haven't had in our uh, century, uh, or the maybe even since the, the war that happened in the mid-1800s that we call our civil war, we haven't seen a lot of things happen on our land. And so the bad things happen other places. And yes, we have earthquakes and we have floods, but somehow or other, we've gotten used to the idea that it'll all be okay. And we have public officials telling us, don't worry, Americans always get through this. But that's optimism, maybe. A lot of times it's also presumption because it fails to acknowledge the reason why God could be making this correction in our world in 2020. Yeah, and I think that correction is, is a word that 
we should be thinking about here in terms of God's plan and providence. Uh, throughout the scripture, God has a plan for his people and gives them a set of sanctions or a law or a way of living that matches a correct way of living. And what you often see throughout the history of, of God's people is when his way is ignored, when his law is lost, when his people are not obedient, uh, then the answer is not just spiritual correction, not just that they end up going to hell or they end up under the judgment or wrath of God, but rather that our lives in this world have effects around us. And we can see that in every area, in every sphere of life, from the seed in the ground to our family relationships, we're all part of these interconnected systems. And the best way for our humanness to express itself, for us to be truly human, is to be under God's word, in God's law, thinking God's thoughts after God. And then when we depart from that, uh, as we see in the example of sin, when we move away from God's way, the humanness of us falls apart, right? The, the natural way that we're supposed to function, the way that we understand health, prosperity, and goodness is destroyed by sin. So at least people with, okay, I get that, that's true, God is judging, etc. But I think it's important to look really close to home rather than looking at, well, yes, there's those abortionists out there or there are those politicians we need to examine whether or not in our own lives we have acknowledged the sovereignty of God or have we reserved some of that for ourselves? Have we said, yes, yes, man is totally depraved. However, some are less depraved than others, especially if they're of my political persuasion. So I think it's a great time to take inventory and a better time to go back to those portions of scripture that you might not have thought were that important and see what it was like for the people of God when they were brought into captivity or when Jerusalem was surrounded or things like that, because it's the same God who orchestrates all events. So we shouldn't think that, well, this could never happen on our watch. That's right. And it's the same God who is the author and sustainer and finisher of the same history. Uh, there was a movement popular just after the Reformation the rationalism and then the, the rise of deism that has infected really all of modern man's thinking. That even those of us who believe in perhaps a divine power or believe in God have so misconstrued who God is, they believe this kind of strange watchmaker type of theology. That God, who created the world, uh, made it a good world, but he let it run off on its own and therefore has you know, subtracted himself from history. The entire theological movement of uh, Northern Europe called Arminianism really embraces this deistic type of philosophy that, that God is subtracted from our daily life, uh, but that our individual actions are separated or we've rationalized them so that the thunderstorms and tornadoes, the natural disasters and sicknesses are not the cause and reaction of us with creation and our divine creator, uh, but rather that they're happenstance or circumstantial. And I think that's really uh, what's allowed mankind in the last century or two centuries to subtract their responsibility from the divine mandates. And then we're left with, if you dare say, this is God's judgment, that you'll hear people say, 
don't say that. God doesn't do bad things. You can't blame this on God. And it really shows how self-centered we are, even as a church. Because if you're not going to call something like this God's judgment or go back 20 years or almost 20 years to 9-11 and not call it God's judgment, are people experiencing it as God's blessing? You know, which is it? And so rather than try to blame other people, where have we been unfaithful? And the, the major sin, if somebody says, well, what sins did we commit? Well, the sin of failing to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength in every aspect of our lives. So is God reserved for Sunday, but we'll leave it up to the, the university professors and the scientists and the politicians to tell us how we're supposed to live for the rest of the week. So we've got to start with ourselves. Yes. Yes. And the idea of God's justice is never limited to just uh, moral choices of, you know, believing in God or not believing in God. Really, every action throughout the scripture is tied to uh, God's idea of justice. Uh, one of my favorite examples when we talk about, uh, you know, disease and sickness is right in the middle of God's law. He talks about the, the following of the ground, right? So we, we know in the context of of creation, St. Paul tells us that creation has a personality, right? Uh, St. Paul says that creation groans for the coming of the glory of God, that it longs to be you know, reborn, renewed by Jesus Christ. And so even in, in God's law, this groaning gives us an example of how God expects justice to be exacted on earth. Uh, for example, six years, you should farm your land and then the seventh year you let it go fallow meaning you don't plant on the ground now dr rushton has talked about this and said that scientifically it makes a ton of sense if you allow the ground to rest for a year uh, then the nutrients come back to the ground and the next year following when you start to replant and your cycle starts over again your crops will do better in fact all of the western world embraced this idea of the scripture uh, and allowed things like crop rotation and uh, survived through periods of famine and against disease and crops because they took God's idea of justice, justice being how God's law applies to every area of life, and even applied it just to how they should farm. Uh, so if you don't follow God's law, and even the, the tiniest you know, sect of your life, then there has to be a correction. And so if you fail to fallow the ground, you might be able to go year seven or year eight. Year, you might be able to go 14 years. Or in Israel's case, they were able to go 70 years. But each year, the creation itself is correcting. Your crops are not going to be just naturally not as good. The ground's nutrients is not going to be as uh, plentiful. And so your crops are going to do worse and worse. And eventually, a time will come when those who disobeyed God's law will now find, well, there's a famine. Well, whose fault is the famine? Well, we who disobeyed God's law and refusing to follow the ground, there could be a spiritual sense in which maybe God sends down a disease into the, into the ground. But there's also a very natural sense where the spirit affects the creation and says, if you break this principle, the correction is disease, disaster, and destruction. Right. I think what most people don't get is the very nature of violating God's law immediately brings the judgment. 
you might not notice it immediately and it might take a while to manifest itself. But when you brought up the idea of giving the land a rest and um, Israel went into captivity for 70 years and the prophet says it's because they failed to observe the land Sabbaths, something which I imagined they probably thought wasn't all that big a deal. Well, take a look at other laws that people have relegated to not so important. Let's take the idea of not mixing the seed. Well, genetically modified organisms are just that, mixing the seed, mixing the kind. As a result, the interaction with the food to the human body is not the way it should be because something foreign has been introduced. Or let's take the ever unpopular dietary laws where God mm -hmm. basically says these are to be eaten and these are not to be eaten. And what if, and I doubt any scientific studies have been done on this, but what if you examined populations that did actually observe the dietary laws, you might discover that there was greater longevity, less illness. See, we just decided, Oh, that's old Testament. We don't have to pay attention, but to mix the metaphor, could the chickens be coming home to roost? Yes, well, I think that's an appropriate mix of metaphors and appropriate to our current crisis. You know, one of these really left-leaning uh, news media websites you've heard of called Vox did a profile uh, recently on the coronavirus. And really all of these type of, of viruses that are born in different animals and then translate into human diseases. And they talk about these these wet markets that exist in China. And so they start all the way back to when the communists take over industry inside of China. And they start taking over natural family farms and they state uh, mandate uh, control over them. So the, the socialist government or the communist government comes in and they say all the farms now belong to us. So chickens, pigs, cows, they take care of it. Well, quickly they realized that once the state is in charge of the farms, they had mass famine because without the motivation of private property and profit, really people won't work hard enough to, uh, to feed the people they have. So in response to the failure of their socialized policies, they began to lax it and they allowed local families again to take farms back. And then they created a separate system of, of farming where they allowed the native Chinese to scrounge up exotic things, you know, snakes and bats and all kinds of things to sell in these markets. And this was a way in a time of famine for the peasants of China to find food. They were eating whatever they could find. And the poor, poor people were going out into caves and into fields and collecting snakes and collecting squirrels and things like that and selling these at these markets when the choices were eat the snake or die. And quickly what happened is this became a normal part of uh, Chinese culture. In fact, it became such a normal part that the more exotic of the species became special order. And so throughout China today, these special farms, these exotic farms are not just for peasants. The peasants have used the farms. They've gone out and collected all kinds of strange creatures and they bring them to these farms where they have them live and they, they butcher them there in person, but they become exotic farms. So the wealthy in China come in and they get 
you know, strange things that they believe are aphrodisiacs or, or rare, you know, strange colored animals that they could eat for good lucks or good omen. And there are some scientists that believe that many of the diseases uh, that have trans translated from uh, that were maybe in bat populations or pig populations because of these strange, really non-kosher farms being tolerated and encouraged in China, diseases that would have never usually been exposed between these two animals were then introduced. And their ideas of like eating blood or drinking blood or, or cleanliness, things that the Bible makes very clear, are ignored for the sake of eat or die. Uh, and so you see very quickly within just a few generations, these superbugs, superviruses, um, and pandemics coming out of people who refuse to believe that God's law means anything to about what we eat or how we prepare it. So this moves it into a very practical down to earth kind of obedience that God requires of his people. Now I can hear people saying it's not a salvation issue. It's not, don't, don't make the dietary laws a salvation issue. Well, we don't have to make it a salvation issue. We know that people are saved based on the merits of Jesus Christ and God's election of those people. But if God called something an abomination at one point, wouldn't it be likely if it was suddenly not going to be an abomination that there would be some explanation that it wasn't an abomination? And isn't it interesting how most people will exegete the whole passage of Peter's vision to mean that it's a good idea to go ahead now and have no dietary laws, but most of those animals that came down on that sheet are things that you just described are exotic in other places. People wouldn't consider eating dog, cat, monkey, crocodile, rhinoceros, lion, giraffe today. It's just that it seems to have narrowed down to, I like my pork chops or I like shrimp or seafood. In other words, if we don't take God seriously, we shouldn't be surprised if there are potential health consequences. Right. Well, and, uh, on this topic, Rushduni is often maligned. And we should probably say, if you want to know Rushduni's view on dietary laws, pick up the copy of the Institutes and you'll see him say that it's not a matter of salvation. You don't have to keep the dietary laws to become a believer in Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, a lot of people try to, to malign reconstruction by conflating the two ideas. But there is certainly a sense in which the dietary laws are a salvation issue meaning that the dietary laws explain a principle to us that Jesus thought was very important, that salvation was for the whole world. So if the dietary laws are so important that they are the means by which God communicates the idea that salvation now goes from the Jews to all the Gentiles, they're a center of crux. They're a, a hinge upon which the gospel is built. And yet we want to uh, separate them as a spiritual sense of dietary laws of you know the people outside of the covenant, but we want to ignore the physical sense or the natural sense in which the dietary laws provide strong and biblical foundational principles of healthy and good living. Uh, some people confuse the dietary laws with the ceremonial sacrifices. Well, when God brings Noah and his ark and puts them right there on Mount Ararat, they come out of the ark into the new world. And he says, all right, first rule, no drinking blood. <laughs> okay, so dietary laws are foundational to respecting and honoring who God is because the creation is God's creation. 
Right. And if you ask most people, does the Bible provide for cannibalism? They would say, oh, no, oh, no. Well, that's right in the dietary laws, what you can and cannot eat and what's acceptable and what's not. And yet there are those who malign people who speak against vaccinations when in actual fact, there is cannibalism practiced in the production of vaccinations if we're using cells from aborted children or if we are introducing things that would be unclean like monkey or other things like that or pig serum into our medications or our vaccinations. So like I said earlier, by ingesting these things, by having these things, God's natural processes go along. And so if we find ourselves with weakened immunity, maybe that's why. And I would say that is why. And it's time for people to take God seriously. That's right. And it's not just weakened immunity. You know, the we're having this trouble, not just because of these wet farms in Wuhan, but there's, there's people like Joel Salatin who have been warning about uh, superbugs coming in our food because we feed antivirals to our our livestock we don't treat them with the dignity the bible requires we don't practice biblical uh, ideas for butchering and respecting the wildlife or following the ground or you know these are are real things but it gets to a a bigger question and something that we can see in times of crisis who is your source of authority now in my tradition as a reformed christian i believe that the the bible contains all things sufficient for our salvation, right? So the Bible is my ultimate authority. But if you go to a normal Christian and you said, hey, I just read a study from University of you know, Iowa or something like that. And I said, they said that you can reduce your chance of developing lung cancer if you give up eating bacon or whatever it is, right? And they give you some type of kosher law. We have been conditioned to think of these authorities or these experts or this professional class as having more weight and more authority than the scripture itself. We're willing to cast doubt upon the very word of God given to us without error, given to us as God himself speaking. And yet, who are we willing to believe in times of crisis? Why don't we trust the Lord? You know, maybe I'm not the first one who thought of this, but we live in 2020. And 2020 is what we talk about in terms of having really good vision. And maybe this correction, as I called it, is an opportunity for us to get the glasses of scripture on so that we can see with good vision what God requires us to do. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's important because our, our God is a God of, of forbearance and he, he allows us to really see in his judgments, his grace. You know, he he doesn't take us all at one time. He allows us to see the consequences of our actions. And we don't let any crisis go to waste because we can see and seek the Lord at any time, at any place. And I imagine that a lot of people have more time on their hands, at least for the next couple of weeks. They're not going out to work. They're not being able to watch their sporting events or attend sporting events. I know a lot of our listeners probably have a good number of theological books, Rush Dooney books on their bookshelves. Now's a good time to make use of that time that you now have been given to get yourselves on a better path. 
And of course, if people go to the Calcedon website, calcedon.edu, thousands of resources are there and lectures that Rush Juni gave 20, 30, 40 years, well, not 20, because he's passed away then, but like many times before that, that um, are available and are very timely because he was a prophetic voice. He knew that humanism was collapsing. And if this isn't obvious for us right now, I'm not sure what it would take for it to be obvious, but the people of God got to be ready to rebuild, rebuild locally in their families, in their communities. And we have to have the right message, not just wash your hands and cough into your elbow. We have better instructions than that for people. Yes. And uh, folks have been pointing out that the scripture provides instructions for the minutia of every, of every part of our lives. Uh, Folks have, t- have pointed out that if you read the book of Leviticus this week, you can see that these kind of orders to stay at home are very similar to quarantines that we see for people who are diseased in the, the Old Testament. That even today, with all of our medicine, with all of our technology, microscopes, and our understanding of Scripture, I'm sitting here in the shadow of Silicon Valley, and the wisdom of a Iron Age people 6,000 years ago is still the wisdom that the most intelligent of us today can come up with. Quarantine and don't have interaction. What else is wise in the Bible that we are ignoring because we are so proud of our own technological advances? What if we just humbled ourselves and said, Lord, you know the best and let's go back to your simple ways. And on a behavioral scale, this wouldn't be new to right now, but the laws against fornication, the laws against homosexuality, which would be blanketed under that, all these have also carried diseases with them when taken on a wide scale basis when it's being ignored. So I think it's a great suggestion that people pull out the book of Leviticus and read it and read it as though God meant it and read it as though it was important for you to know, as opposed to background material. And it's the part that we skip over. Mm, Amen. Other than the institutes that you brought up, any other resources at this point that you think might be useful for folks? Well, I just echo your your thoughts. Go to the Calcine website and plug in some keywords. You know, use things like uh, look up cleanliness, look up quarantine, look up these words and see that Rush Dooney was speaking about uh, disease and sickness and uh, the use of the land long before we had a crisis. And we could have averted lots of things if we had just heeded the warnings. But rather than lament the fact that we've been dumb for so long and hadn't paid attention, we need to recognize that a little bit of obedience brings God's blessing. He doesn't say, okay, for 10 years you weren't listening. Now you're listening. Wait 10 more years. He tells us that with obedience, we will not be able to outrun his blessings. And I say, let's take him up on that. (laughs) I try to do that every single day, just finding areas where rather than trying to discern whether the governor's telling the truth, whether this is a ploy to switch political governance in our country, I can't answer those questions and I don't try to. What I try to do is live in such a way that at the end, whether the coronavirus takes me or when something else does, that I'll hear those most glorious of words, well done, good and faithful servant. 
Amen. And the Lord invites you to do that. It says in Malachi, test the Lord and bring all of your stuff into the Lord's storehouses. And he will pour out blessings so great that you won't have room to carry these things. Very good. Well, listeners, thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for us to talk about, out of the question podcast at gmail.com is the way to get a hold of us. Thanks and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.